Hello and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. My name is Chris. I'm Creston. And tonight we're going to be talking about code speed. And I don't mean how fast you can type. I mean making your code operate faster. You um, mean we're not going to be like all the movies where every single programmer ever is always like... Right, yeah. And and it's it's actually coming up on the screen three times as fast as any human can possibly type. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, those things. Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen, it's a thing. Anyway, um, so this is part two of our three-part series on speed optimization. Uh, last week, we talked about databases. Tonight, we talk about code. Next week, we talk about servers and, and well, hardware, really, more than just servers, but hardware. So um, we're going to have a talk about that. And let's get going. First, I want to start off by saying something that I think is very important. Trying to fix speed in your code is not the place you want to start when you have speed issues in your system. You start with trying to fix your database first. Because my experience has been 80 to 90% of my speed increases come from the database. Then you go to your hardware, servers, cloud infrastructure, all that stuff, work on those things. Then you start looking at code improvements. Now, a lot of this stuff tonight, I'm going to be, we're going to be speaking in generalities. There's always exceptions to pretty much everything we're going to say tonight. But in general, this is to get you kind of thinking about these things and, and going through, well, should I be doing this or should I be doing something else? Um, and I kind of think about it a little bit different. So like, I agree with you, like 80, 90% of the optimizations I do are related to the database. So if something's slow, it's generally related to database. But then apart from that, I basically use an APM to tell me if something is, if I detect something is slow, I use an APM to tell me where to find it rather than looking at other places. Right. And, and APMs are good. I generally use APMs myself more for the uh, infrastructure side of things. I mean, I will use them for code, but um, the, what I, when I think about code speed and, and um, optimization of code for performance, it's more of learning how to think while you're coding so that you don't get into situations where you're writing suck code. Um, so it's just things to be aware of. I'm not saying that you should go, go back and do all these things on existing code, because in most cases, that's going to be time not well spent. You should have spent that time in the database or your infrastructure instead. But as you're writing code, being aware of this stuff and thinking about it is going to help you keep that stuff out of the, the bottleneck loop in the first place. Um, and then there are some things that, you know, to go back and fix and, and little tweaks and things. And sometimes a code tweak will make a huge improvement. But more often than not, that's not where you want to start. Um, so... Let's talk about some the, the first kind of major area of 
issues with code speed, and that's looping structures, logic structures. So um, talking about like loops and ifs and and things like that. L loops are typically, and again, speaking in generalities, looping through something can lead to lots of problems. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't use loops. <laughs> and looping is a big part of to. programming. Yeah, well, to a point, <laughs> yes. But what I'm saying is when you do looping, see how much you can minimize it and be pay very particular attention to what you're doing inside the loop. Because you got to remember that every time you do something, every line of code that's in that loop is going to get executed multiple times, more than likely. If it's not, then why do you have a loop? So that stuff starts adding up really fast. So, you know, a two millisecond delay in a loop that runs 20,000 times in an hour is a big deal. That's not, you know, two milliseconds doesn't sound like a big deal, but that's not two milliseconds. That's a lot more than that. So you have to pay attention to what you're doing inside loops um, and really, really try to avoid nesting loops if you can help it, because that, that just leads to all kinds of danger. So if I get in situations where I need to loop stuff and it, there's, you have to loop things. But I try to minimize what I'm doing inside the loop, and I really try to think hard about, do I need to do every one of these things inside a loop? Like, if I'm setting a variable that only needs to be set once, set it outside the loop. Don't set it every time inside the loop. It works just the same, but it's unnecessary speed hits. So... I, yeah, I, I was about to I was about to say I never worry about loops. I never worry about nested loops. I was gonna make that statement, but then I'm thinking about it. It's like, well, yeah, you know, you're you are right, because when I'm writing the loop, I'm doing exactly the assessment you mentioned. It's like, okay, what is the I think of what is the minimum amount of stuff that needs to be in here? And what is this gonna be doing? Right. So I agree with you. I mean, but apart from that, like loops, nested loops, I don't worry about them at all. It's like I use the structure because I have to use the structure. Right. And yeah, I mean, there's going to be but looping in I, every program. But I know, yeah, yeah, but I know, and even a nested loop, I don't worry about it at all, but I am cognizant of, okay, what is it going to be doing? I think about how is this program going to be running and what is it going to be doing? And exactly like you said, if something's going to be set once, set it, you know, before the loop starts. Right. And you got to remember, too, especially with nested loops, that as your product grows, this isn't a linear increase in speed issues. The more times that loop goes through, it's going to start ramping out of control really fast. So you have to pay attention to what's in your loops. And a lot of times when I end up having to do code improvements for performance, a lot of times it's something that's happening inside a loop that's causing and and things start scaling up, the service starts scaling up and things just go out of control. And it, a lot of times it's a loop thing. I, I'll say I've never had a loop problem that caused a performance problem though. Oh gosh, I well, I see them a lot. Um, and it, it, I've uh, crashed plenty of application by having a poorly designed loop. 
<laughs> but once things were working, I've never had a performance from I've had a deal with with loops. Right. And that's something else you got to be careful of too, is you got to make sure that you don't that you don't let your code get into a situation where it can get into an infinite loop. That's that's just that'll kill Super you. Bad. Yeah. So think through what you're doing in loops. It's important. Um nested ifs while they're not as big of a speed issue um they they can be um and we'll talk about wh why a little bit it's not massive but what it does is it causes uh, a lot of obfuscation in trying to troubleshoot issues and trace through um where things are going when you're trying to track speed issues down so try to stay away from nested ifs if you can there again generalities there are times when you can't but um it, my feelings is that it's more of a code quality code appearance thing than a performance thing because usually the optimizers can handle stuff like that they will and, and it depends on the language but here's why i say it can it can affect speed it, it comes in with short-circuiting if statements. So if the language can do this, and most of them can, um, when you have compound um, conditions for your if statements, you want to write them in such a way that the first condition can make it so that the second condition doesn't have to always be checked, right? Sure, sure. I'll so agree with that, yeah. if you can short-circuit your if statements, they'll run faster because it's... And we're not talking about massive amounts of stuff, but imagine you've got an if statement inside a loop that runs a million times a day, and I only have to run... I only have to check that second condition half the time. That's a big speed improvement. So... I don't know about big. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> but I'll give, relatively I'll give, speaking. I'll give you... It will give a speed improvement. Right. So, and again, it's one of those things where think about that stuff and understand what this does, because, you know, for a long time when I started programming, I had no idea that short circuiting if statements was a thing, but it is, and it can make a difference. Um, so especially if part of your conditional is, which this is usually not a good idea, but if part of your conditional is a method call to something, yeah. If, if you can kill off that method call by checking something else first, then you, you've saved yourself a good bit of time. And imagine that method call calls out to a third-party service. Right, exactly. In a loop. In a nested loop. Shoot me now. But anyway, just you know, think about what you're doing in these structures. It's very important um, and can save you a lot of headaches down the road. Um, the last part of the logic stuff is to pay attention when you're doing text parsing. Don't use loops for that. Use regex. That's what it's for. And it's way faster. Learn regex. If you have to do anything with text, learn regex. Um, it's very, very worth it. Don't ever loop parse data or text data. That's just bad or you're writing or essentially you're writing your own implementation of a regex when you start doing that right and and you won't write it as well i you just won't <laughs> and it's yeah. already there so why spend the time um I, I can't think of any language that doesn't have some implementation of a regex 
Yeah. I've never run into one. Um, all right. So that's kind of the, the skinny on the logic thinking. Um, so let's talk about ORMs, the object relational mapping. So that's things like in Ruby, that's or in Rails, that's active record. So it's the piece that sits between your code and your database and kind of translates between the two. But I think a lot of this, there's only certain, well, like when you talk about ORM, I think we could actually make this more general to be any sort of data ac access. Sure. I think a lot of the things you've, you've met, you've uh, kind of listed here are relevant for it. The ORM just comes in the, when you're talking about actually creating objects, but like, anyway. Right. Yeah, because, it, you know, back in the old days, ODBC and, and JDBC and stuff like that, and, you know, all that kind of stuff, any, any of the database intercept layer things. Yeah. Um, so th the first big thing, and we kind of touched on this last week when we were talking about databases, is pull the minimum amount of data you need for a thing. Don't don't pull entire records if all you need is the ID, right? Or the ID and the name. And there's 85 fields in this table, which is probably bad design, but it can happen. Um, but don't pull all 85 if all you need is two of them. Uh, because in most cases, with ORMs especially, in most cases, you're going to be building objects, and the more stuff you have to put in that object, the longer each one of them is going to take. And if you've got, you know, 20,000 records... And the more memory you're going to be consuming. Right. So pull the minimum amount of data you need to do what you need to do with it. Um, also, pull as much data as you can in one shot. So what you don't want are N plus one queries, which is... So an N plus one is basically, okay, I, I'm going to pull this list of clients that I've got. Now, for each client, I'm going to go through and pull their address. So every client is firing off a query for an address. What you should do is pull all that stuff together in one shot and then do what and you need to do And then each address it. pulls its, the state name from your state table and the country code from your country table. So right. now you've got a nested loop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. And and I can't tell you how many times I've seen N plus one queries. It's just they're everywhere. And if it's not something you pay attention to, like in Rails, it's very easy to do that. Yep. You really have to pay attention to it. Um, and when you were talking about um, um, the the my brain went blank. The the things to check the the servers and the. Oh, APM? Yeah, maybe? APM. When you're talking and about APM, that. And APM, we haven't defined that. That's Application Performance performance Management Tool. Right. So, that, and that's things like... like um, New Relic. New Relic and, and AppSignal. Raygun. Ray yeah. Those kind of things. So, Datadog. Uh, we yep. did a show on those, so... Take a oh, look well, at that. Well, they were... That they, was they part, were part of the, of the exception show. handling right. episode. And they, part of what they do is exception handling, but their primary, at least the ones we just mentioned here, their primary reason for existence is to manage your application's performance. Right. And you can you can see a lot of N plus one queries in there. In in the Rails world, the bullet gem is the way to go for that because it just, 
you know, in development, you can run a page and it'll pop up and say, hey, you got in plus one queries, you big dummy. Um, but th that's something you need to pay attention to because those get really expensive really fast. Um, so we got, hold on. Hey, Andrew, enjoying the conversations. Well, I'm glad you are. Please feel free cool. to join in. Yeah. Um, we, we love to have comments from people and that's why we're here. So thanks for, thanks for being here. Um, so, you know, and going back to the ORM you were mentioning where that does become into play is when you're like, you were talking about instantiating objects. Right. Uh, and that, you know, that can get expensive. If you go and look at the, the APMs and you start seeing a lot of memory utilization, like your memory just starts creeping up. Um, one of the things that can cause that is you've got N plus one queries and you're pulling too much information from your database and or you have N plus one queries that are just creating gobs of objects and they're just sucking your memory away. And that can crash machines, uh, crash your system. So... Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's actually a good idea to just bypass the ORM and let the database do things that the database is supposed to do. It's that's what it's built for. Um, so, you know, it, bypassing the ORM isn't a cardinal sin. ORMs are nice, but they're not the best tool for every job. Um and so when we're talking about object instantiation, um, like in, in Rails and uh, other, other ORMs have things similar to this, but you need to understand what you are, um, how, how the ORM interacts with the database and how it puts the data together. So for instance, in Rails, if you just need a list of IDs and names together, like in an array. Right, in an array. Right. Use yeah. pluck instead of select because pluck doesn't have to instantiate objects. Select does. So, and there's a big difference between that. If I don't need an object to perform one, don't use the methods that will build objects. Just get the data. So understanding how your RRM works is, is a really important thing uh, when you're programming, assuming you're using data. I mean, if you're right in Hello World, then whatever. But um, I very rarely see apps that don't use data of some sort. So speaking of data, data structures. It's really important to understand how your language's data structures work. I'm talking about things like hashes or arrays or lists or dictionaries, those kind of things. Different one like .NET uh, arrays work very differently than Ruby arrays. Right? The concept is the same, but mechanically they do different things. Um, you need to understand things like how do they use memory? You know, because like for instance, in Ruby, hashes are, are memory expensive. Um, so, uh, hold on. One chat, we are happy to, we are always happy to interrupt our flow and answer questions. Uh, go through the pluck versus select point again. Okay, so in Ruby, and well, in Rails, 
not Ruby, Rails. Um, pluck will just get the data and return it in an array. Whereas select, your where's or select or find or whatever will actually instantiate active record objects for each record. So it, sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes you need the object to be passing around and doing stuff with. But if you just need the data, use plucks. Um, it'll save you a crap ton of memory. So, but yeah, feel free to ask questions, man. We don't mind at all. Um, all right, so, you know, understand how the memory allocation is done. And I don't mean you have to get down into the, the bits and bytes and, and really know how to write a programming language and that kind of crap. What I'm saying is understand the difference between a list and a dictionary and an array and a hash and what they're used for and how they're, um, how they are uh, used for different things. For instance, if I have, let's, let's just talk .NET for a second because we never talk .NET. If I have a list and I try to find something in a list, it's going to take longer than if I have a, a key dictionary and try to find something by a key. Also, if my key is a string in a dictionary, as opposed to an integer, the string key will take longer than an integer key because of the way that the bits and bytes work. So understand what you're going to be doing with those structures and which ones are best and fastest for the thing that you're going to be doing. Because if I want to sort a list, like in .NET, list sorting is expensive. You know, if I just make a list of strings and then and then have to sort that, ugh, nasty. It's better to just order things in the where clause or an order by clause to the query and just stuff them in already ordered. Now I'm going to show my naivete with regard to .NET. Does .NET support multiple languages? Is this like a framework, or are you speaking of a specific language that has these different data structures? Dot, uh, it's kind of, okay, so .NET is a little bit of a mixed bag. .NET is, when people say .NET, they're either talking about VB or C Sharp. Yeah, yeah okay. So yeah. there's two technically different languages. So .NET yeah. is kind of a framework, but not the same way Rails is a framework. So it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. weird. But yeah. Um, but is the, but even are the data structures between Visual Basic or VB and C Sharp the same or are they different? Yes, the, the difference is, so they all end up in .NET and running the .NET code. It's just a difference of syntax, syntactical sugar for... Um, are both of those compiled? They are, yes. So it like it compiles and utilizes whatever facilities .NET has or something. Okay. Correct. Yeah, it compiles in .NET. Okay. Um. So yeah, I mean .NET really is the language, and C sharp huh. VB are kind okay. of the syntax on them. Um, okay. I mean, there's all kinds of technicalities to what I just said, but in general. Um, okay. So. Um, uh, so something else you want to think about, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this later, uh, because this is kind of has to do with caching, but it's very important with data structures like 
like an ORM object or a big dictionary or something, if you're going to be using those multiple times, once you build them, stick them in a variable and reference the variable. Don't keep rebuilding the things. Don't keep rehashing them or redefining them. Um, that helps. And now the things we're talking about here, it, it, each of these little things I'm talking about isn't going to make huge performance impacts. Like if I have a speed problem, I'm not going to go looking for uh, structure changes, data structure changes. Th that's going to be way down the line because it's probably not going to make that big of a difference. But if you think about these things as you're programming, you won't have as many problems down the line. And it'll be easier to just sort this stuff out when you do have speed issues. Every one of my performance issues that I've run into, like as talking from my own application, it's when I've had to deal with a volume of data. So if I have a volume of the data, volume of data in the database, so it's then optimizing the access and the manipulation of that data. The other way I've had a lot of data is um, like needing to upload a lot of data. Like Ruby is just a dog, or at least the gems, to be able to parse that data and load it into the database. So I'm going to have to find a different solution to make it more efficient. You know, it was fine when you're uploading 1,000, 10,000, you know, records. But once you start getting 100,000, then you need another solution. Right. Or the So it's like you only have problems when the data grows. Right. The other one is like um, views with Rails. Uh, the templates can be dog slow. It's fine when you have, uh, say, 10 partials, but if you work that up to 100 partials plus, you start running into being a dog and you got to come up with a solution to solve it. Like, you know, my solution to that was caching things. It's not great, but it helps. So it's kind of like, so right. in terms of performance, what I think of is like, where what volume, you know, where's the massive volume coming from? And that's where you're going to get your performance problems. And when you right. see it, then, you know, find a solution to it. Which is a perfect segue into the next topic, which is background processing. Um, so, and this is generally happens when you have huge data things that need to happen that are going to take a while to process. And there's just no way around it. I mean, you can't, you know, if I have to process 200,000 records, I, I can only make that so fast. Um, you're not going to get instant responses. So if I have somebody submit a query for a report, they, they want to get a report back on some huge sales system or big financial system or something like that. It's just going to take a while in, in some cases. If that's the case, then sometimes what you need to do with your code is split it apart. And so that your main process is just saying, okay, I want, Mr. Redis server over here, sidekick server to go fire off and do its thing. And then I'll, hey, Mr. User, I'll let you know when that thing is done and deliver it to you. But I'm yeah, gonna- Basically you, you just give an act to saying, yes, I got your request, Mr. User, and then send the message off to start the background process. Yep. Yeah. Uh, have to head out to meeting. Hope to start catching these live featured all in Ruby Radar. Oh, thanks for that. Appreciate cool. that. Thank you. 
uh we're we are live every wednesday night so hope to see you more um so or uh background processing yeah so background processing sorry it's it's been a long i was up till 3 a.m this morning doing a production deploy at a big client and i'm a little loopy um yahoo woo. yeah i'm running on about four hours of sleep so i'm probably gonna just crash after the show here um anyway so yeah it, it you know the, a lot of this you, you just have to offload some things especially now as more and more data goes to more and more web apps it this didn't used to be as big a problem when you were doing desktop stuff more but um it's it, it, it's becoming a bigger and bigger issue because data is getting bigger and bigger and people want to do more and more things and they want to do it faster well if you've got these big jobs clogging up your server resources on your main server it's just going to slow everything down so and and plus there's only so much you can if you're talking about web development web development there's only so much you can do in a typical 30 second request <laughs> before the web process times out right exactly so you know think about the, the the architecture of your code is important too and stripping things out from a monolithic application may be necessary especially if you're doing big data stuff um you know so in rails i mean the the sidekick is with a redis um queuing database is what many many people use uh it is by far the most common way to do it but you know if you're doing reporting or email blasts or financial processing things that don't have to be returned immediately maybe you can or, make or them... the, the results of it doesn't don't need to be the full right. results don't need to be returned immediately yeah yeah i immediately say yes i got your request but right you, you'll get your packet of information at a later date when it's done <laughs> right and what that one of the things that does is it frees you up to not worry about the minutia of making that job milliseconds faster you can worry about the the user facing portion of your app and making those parts faster because if this job takes you know, a minute and 20 seconds instead of a minute and 15 seconds, who cares? But if I can knock five seconds off of a page load for the users, that's worth something. So, you know, think, just think about the, the architecture of your code. Uh, so another big thing, let's talk about caching. We're going to talk briefly about caching because caching we could spend months talking about. There are a lot of types of caching. So, you know, like page caching, action caching, fragment, index caching, query caching, variable caching, da 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 da, da, da. It goes on and on. It's a huge subject. Um, and a lot of what you just mentioned, FYI for the audience is Rails specific. Like the concept of action and fragment caching is Rails specific. Right, yeah. They, they, and there are other languages, other languages have their own cache specific stuff yeah hey colin welcome yeah caching is is hard that is absolutely for well, sure you know it's the uh second hardest thing in computer science right yeah, exactly. number one is naming things number two is caching mm -hmm. um so yeah it it, it, it is a big subject so i'm just going to touch on it a little bit here because it has a lot to do with speed and coding and it's one of those things that you have to do some planning with 
um it's it's not just throw it up there and hope it works this is one of those things that <laughs> that typically you need to plan out and say what am i going to cash because there are some cases it's not often but there are some cases where caching can make things worse if you're putting it in the wrong place and doing it incorrectly um i've actually run across some issues lately where i've had to strip some caching out because it was causing problems because of the, the way the cache or it, was working. Or now that I think about it, is it actually cache invalidation is the hardest part? I can't well, remember Well, yes, cache and that, <laughs> and that's specifically what, what was yeah, causing caching some is it. easy, getting the invalidation right. Is <laughs> figuring, out, figuring out how to use it. Yeah, none of these cache concepts are that difficult to catch. It's just figuring out how to get them to work right and invalidate at the right time that, that'll drive you up a wall. And then if you get big systems where you've got caches going in Redis, you know, multiple Redis pods and all that kind of stuff, and you have to invalidate things and you got to get all that running and the, the cache management and all that stuff, just get a cache management service online to do it for you. It's a nightmare. I just, just throwing that out. <laughs> but a um, little heartburn here lately from that. <laughs> so anyway, um, so yeah. Uh, you know, think about caching, understand your language's caching mechanics, uh, because caching is a big deal, not only for speed, but also for memory utilization. Um, you know, and different types of caching, caching are going to help you with different types of things. Obviously, there's stuff that'll help the, the user front end work better. There's stuff that'll help the database work better. There's stuff that'll help your server work better. But it, it, it's something that needs to be thought out. And those caching strategies usually take some strategizing. You don't want to just throw whatever cache at it. You need to plan that out. And maybe we can do a show about caching sometime. Although seeing as caching is the hardest thing, I'd almost rather poke my eyes out with a fork. But uh, um, anyway. Either that or time zones. Yeah, let's do time zones. Oh, well, I don't know. Kind of a toss-up. They both suck. Anyway, um, so, yeah, I mean, what are your experiences with caching? I actually haven't had to use it that much, surprisingly, with the volume of data that I'm working with. Um, I had... Um, that one instance that I've used caching, like with all the caching mechanics that, that you've mentioned, um, I've been able to, but again, here's the thing. I'm kind of like a ninja with databases or at least the Postgres database. So everything is super uber optimized. So I've never had to run into really big issues. However, I was having problem with the page load taking forever. And I'm like, well, the database isn't, doing anything at all. You know, it's like minimally used. So I used my APM at the time it was New Relic. Mm -hmm. And it said it was the view processing, uh, basically the view templates of Rails that were taking so long. So that's not something I could change in my code. It is what it is in Rails. It's the rendering of the HTML was slow. Now I'm sure I could do some sort of optimization. So I'll, I'll agree there was probably some on, maybe my views are too complex for whatever reason. But the solution that everyone 
you know, goes to with that is caching of those fragments. If, you know, so that's what I did for, for it and that resolved it. It didn't make it phenomenally fast, but it fast enough so that it was acceptable to end users. Right. Yeah. And, and this only came up again, going back to performance issues, you know, part of the the main part of my product is a form builder. And, you know, when you have 10 fields, 20 fields, it's no problem. But when you have people creating these really complex forms that have, you know, hundreds of fields in them, then you get into a problem. Right. And that story is a really good example of, of what I was kind of getting at earlier, which is code optimization is usually not where you want to start. Start with your database. Because you said, you know, most of your stuff, you don't even have to deal with the code. If you got your database running right, you don't have a lot of code issues. But sometimes there's, you know, you've done as much with your database as you can. You got to work on the code. Yeah. Um, and if you're thinking about these things up front, that saves you <clears throat> from having to do it later. All right. So let's talk about some just some other mishmash issues with performance that kind of don't fit under any of the other categories, really. Um, one thing is keep your languages and your frameworks up to date. Um, most of the time, especially in the Ruby on Rails ecosystem, but even with .NET and, and all these other languages, most of the time, big releases, especially major releases, releases will include a lot of performance improvements. Um, so, so you get performance improvements for free. Yeah. So make sure that, you know, you're keeping your, your stuff up to date. I mean, there's a lot of other reasons to keep it up to date too, but you also get the performance improvements. Um, same thing to be said for your plugins, gems, plugins, whichever system you're working with. Keep those, yeah, yeah. Keep those up to date because as the, the uh, fundamental language that they're written on top of gets faster, they usually will get faster, but they have to, to, you have to update them to take advantage of the speed improvements. Um, something we talked about a little bit, kind of hinted at a little bit is more objects is more slower. So when I say objects, I'm talking about things like object oriented programming. We all love OOP, but sometimes it can be problematic. There's a, Every time you call a method, it has to build, you know, instantiate that method. There's memory stuff going on. There's all kinds of calls. There's things happening. So every time you extract a method, um, you're actually causing a speed degradation. Now, in most cases, the minuscule speed degradation you get from that is worth the code maintenance improvements. So I'm not saying don't don't do OOP or don't do proper code um, um, refactoring. Absolutely not. I refactor all the time. What I'm saying is be aware of how that works. So, you know, to me, I'm, I go back to like, what's the volume of data you have to work with? So if you have one area of your application that's a fire hose for a particular set of data, then maybe you don't want to instantiate all those objects for some particular activity. Right. 
So the fewer objects you have, the less memory you have, the more memory space you have available, the faster things can go. So um, just you know, be cognizant of building up a lot of objects. And that has to do with, you know, what I was talking before about pluck versus select, how many objects are you creating? Well, methods are technically in the back end objects, not, not the way we talk about them from the front end, but, you know, when you get down to the zeros and ones, that's kind of what they are. I think there's one other thing I want to add here is that also be that, because I don't think we mentioned it, at least in this episode, is be aware of what your language is actually doing when you're, um, particularly when you're working with data or talking with the database. So for example, the uh, Ruby has the um, count method. So you can call count on something. Well, what that does is it actually goes to the database, gives you a count of what you asked for. Whereas maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe you are just looking for the uh, length of an array, how many objects are in the array. Well, what you would want to use instead of that is size. So you, you wouldn't want to call the size method instead of that. So that would just very quickly, Ruby would calculate what the how many objects are in this array versus making a call out to the database. And there's also other different commands. So it's basically get to know and understand what your language is actually doing when it sends a command to the database or other service when you're asking it for something. Right, because it, pursuant to what you were just talking about, in Rails, there's also length that if you call length, it'll determine whether it should be doing count or size, depending on what you're calling it with. So understanding that for me was a big deal because then I realized, oh, I can I can stop worrying about which one of these things I'm supposed to use and just use length. But if I don't understand why I'm doing that and what those differences are, um, it, it, it doesn't help and it's not something I can pay attention to when I'm programming. So yeah, exactly. Understand that stuff. Um, be be very judicious and careful with calls to external services. That can kill you um, if you're relying, especially if the service is a third party service and not just your your you know ser service oriented architecture. You've got your own little service out here. That's one thing. But if it's a third party service and you're depending on calls from that service to respond in a timely manner, you may have problems because if that service goes down, you know, and if you're Inside. making 20 calls to 20 different services for things, you've got crap going all over the place and they just take a while. So. And then plus if there, you know, you also want to be setting things like timeouts for those services so that if those services are down, you don't want your application to just hang waiting for it because it's not there. Right. And, you know, you, you, you need to be careful with your own, like if you're setting up SOA, um, I'm not saying don't. It's, SOA is a good thing in a lot of cases, but just be aware of what you're doing and what calls you're making. Because if you go inside a loop and start making external calls, you may have a massive problem on your hands. Just be careful where you're doing that stuff. Uh, something else that 
this is just kind of a pet peeve of mine. Maybe it's because I'm old, but there's this there was this big thing, especially in the Ruby ecosystem, where how 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 much can I shrink this down? You know, I, I take this method, can I get it down to one line of code, and just make it this ridiculous, you know, strung out thing? While that's really cool, it's fun thought experiment. It's a good good way to learn the language and and um <sighs> and win points with your coding buddies. It's not necessarily always good for your code because there are a lot of times that it, the functions that you need to do in order to get things compressed down like that are slower than the functions you could do if you expanded it. So just because it looks cool doesn't mean it's fast. Less lines of code doesn't equal less time necessarily. Um, so, and while it may look cool, your customers don't care. They're never going to see it. What they care about is how long it takes them to load their web page. So they're not going to be impressed with your one line code that does replaces 50 lines of stuff. They don't care. Um, so just be, you know, be careful with that. I, I've seen too many people do that and say, oh, I got it down to one line of code. And I'm like, yeah, but it's slow as crap. So undo it. Does it really a performance <laughs> improvement as opposed to just an aesthetic improvement? I'm sorry, well, does it really impact performance? I, I have seen some things that will impact performance. Yes. Typically, it the, I don't like it because a lot of times that's way less readable. When you've got this, oh well, yeah, I mean, you know, it just gets that's stupid. That's the worst thing to me. Um, but yes, there are some things I, I have run into some things where in order to get that one line of code, they had to make different method calls or different function calls on these objects, and those function calls were slower than what they could do otherwise. Okay. So okay. while it's not a big deal, it's just one of those things that there's better things to spend time on and just be aware that less lines of code doesn't necessarily mean less time. Um, so, all right. So a couple of final thoughts that I had on this, and I know I've been, you know, spending most of the time talking, but I guess it, you got, you did the database stuff, but I'm, I'm the code weenie. So, um, don't optimize prematurely. So I, I don't want you to go into your big app and listen to what we've been saying and say, okay, I'm going to go start hunting for these different things and, and optimize all my code. Don't, don't do that. That's, that's an absolute mistake. Think about these things while you're making new code get in the habit of going through those things in your head and thinking about the different things you're doing while you're coding new stuff. But don't retroactively apply these things to your old code until you have a speed issue that needs looking at. Okay? Because optimizing prematurely may not do anything for you except introduce a lot of bugs. So just don't if it's working now, 
and it's fast enough, don't mess with it. Um, yeah, because again, you can write things. You could, if you're dealing with smaller amounts of data, you could go against almost everything we've said and things will still probably be fine. Right. But it's when your data size starts increasing, that's when you'll start feeling the pain if you haven't, you know. But what you can, uh, uh, you know, what you could do is wait until that happens and then <laughs> address it. Right. And in the meantime, until that happens, until your app grows that big and you start suffering those pains, start practicing these things when you're writing your new code or when you're going to refactor. Start practicing these these concepts so that it's easier when you do have a speed issue you've investigated your database you've investigated your infrastructure and the only thing that could be left is code well you go look at that area of code and you'll go oh yeah i've got i'm i'm using a select there a select star when i should just be plucking the ids and i'm doing it in a loop so there's a big speed problem let me change that um so, but yeah, don't do that ahead of time. Don't just say, hey, I'm using a select there. Let me change it to a pluck. Well, you may just screw up all kinds of stuff that you don't realize you're screwing up. Um, the other thing I'll say is, and this was our first episode, for the love of everything that's holy, do not do speed improvements on your code without tests. Holy crap. I can't tell you the number of times I've seen people just completely wreck their entire code base because they made one what they thought was innocuous change and it just rippled through everything and broke all their stuff it's it, it, it can happen so easily so please have tests when you do this also before you start making code improvements to fix speed benchmark your existing code so that you know if you're making improvements. And benchmark it locally. I don't mean get your APM, hey, it's running this slow in production, let me try some changes and then deploy to production and see if that gets better. That's not a good idea, because you might make it worse, and you don't want to do that in production. What you want to do is benchmark your stuff in your development environment, make your changes, and then benchmark it again and see if you're making improvements. So, um, just otherwise you can't measure what you're doing you don't know if you're making any any significant improvements uh so for ruby there's ruby benchmark uh we've got links to a lot of this stuff in the in the show notes below um and for .net benchmark.net is the popular one so um please please make sure you do those things um i even put a link down there for how to it's like a quick start on Ruby benchmarks so that you can get in there and do it. Um, so kind of the last thing I want to bring up is if you haven't, and there's a link for this too, um, go check out Nate Berkopec's, I, I hope I say his name right, his blog at speedshop.co. Um, his whole blog is about speed improvements, sp specifically in Ruby, Ruby and Rails. Um but he has a consultancy that does that and he has a lot of really good ideas. So it's, I spend a lot of time in there. Um, 
and it's it's got really good articles on lots of different things for speed optimization not just with code but with infrastructure database all kinds of stuff so um i would highly recommend going and checking that site out um and there is a link down in the doobly-doo and then of course scaling postgres that's right. the consulting I do. <laughs> That's right. Scaling Postgres. There's a weekly you could, on Saturdays you put it out. Well, no, I'm saying I also do consulting. Yes. So I have a, lot, a number of rail, uh, Rails the Rails clients that I help with their speed improvements and also just database improvements for uh, clients using Postgres. Right. So helping them optimize their database. So and that's you know it's kind of like once their data gets big and they say it's not working anymore, then they call me in to help <laughs> and that's like i said before data is the place to start i mean that's almost always where your big and speed improvements are going to come from but it's good to know these things from the code side next week we'll be talking about the infrastructure stuff speed improvements uh there and how you can get some things like talking about um server configuration nginx stuff um that that kind of thing so uh we'll be going over that um some of that again you know most of these things we try to condense them down to high points and things to get you to to start thinking about it uh but th these subjects are so big that you know people have entire blogs and sites and youtube channels devoted just to these subjects so um can't cover it all but We'll be going over that. Um, also, following on last week, as he said, make sure you check out the Scaling Postgres uh, YouTube channel because Creston does a lot of stuff specific to Postgres database and performance and speed optimizations in there, uh, maintenance and stuff like that. Um, so check that out if you're using Postgres, you really want to go see that because there's a lot of specifics in there about how to optimize your database. Um, so uh, thank everybody for joining us. We hope you enjoyed that. If you did, please make sure to like, subscribe, follow, whether you're seeing this on YouTube or Twitch. Also uh, links to all the fun stuff down in the doobly-doo. Make sure you check us out on rubberduckdevshow.com. As always, feel free to stop in every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock and join us for some discussions on development. We will see you next Wednesday with our part three of our uh, series on performance improvements. And then the week after that, we're going to be talking about date times. Uh, anyway, that should be loads of fun. Um, but... Thanks for joining us, guys. We will see you next week. And until then, happy programming. Bye. Bye.